This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by The Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear the romantics on the stereo. And at the Underground Retrocade, you can play all those classic games in an authentic arcade atmosphere. In fact, you'll have so much fun during the day, you'll end up talking in your sleep about the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Hello, Mike. How you doing? I'm well, Carrington. And you? I also am doing the well. You're, you're awesome, as usual? I am incredibly awesome. And you have a, a coffee and cup holding. that you can look at that tells you that you're awesome in case you forget, right? I don't. I have a mug of tea. Oh, with, I see. It's a white mug with little blue stripes. I've been thinking lately, actually, now that you bring that up, um, that I, I should get all new mugs. I have like a set of mugs. And they're all the same mug, and, and that's kind of dull. And I think instead of a bunch of these mugs, I would like to have a variety of mugs. So I might start changing my mugs. I have two other mugs that are different that were given to me by a friend, and she knew the person who made them. And I've always been kind of worried that they're poisoning me because I'm like, are these properly glazed? Is this a thing that I should want to drink out of? But I've been drinking out of it for years. Welcome so to Mugs, the podcast exist. where we talk about mugs. <laughs> hey, you asked, dude. And so that's, that's why I have a <laughs> mug of tea. Yes, tea. Screw you all. I like my tea. And I'm considering getting new mugs. So that's that's what I have to say about mugs. Well, I'm sure you'll keep us informed. And that's it for the show this week. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. <laughs> for tuning in to MonsterFeetMugs.com, where I just say I don't have any mugs. <laughs> what about you? Are you a mug guy? I drink coffee. No, but do you like, you know, some people have lots, lots of, I don't know, T-shirts about nerdy things or mugs that have phrases on them. My father collects uh, those Starbucks city mugs. I don't know what that means. I can imagine it's a mug that talks about a city. Well, when you go to, to Starbucks in whatever city, fabulous Montreal or Toronto or whatever. Those are fabulous. Yeah, you know, whatever cities you happen to have up there in the, in the frozen. <laughs> you have named two of our three cities. <laughs> the frozen north with your 30 people or whatever. Uh <laughs> Usually you can get a mug that has the, the name of the city and then it's got some some stylized graphic or drawing on the background that sort of gives you um, an idea that of, of what the city was like. For example, I have one actually in front of me that says Canada. Um, and that's, there's a and beneath that there is a drawing of a maple leaf and some mountains. That is Canada. Yes. And the maple leaf mountain country. Uh, Starbucks has released a number of, I told you this is the Mugs podcast, uh, <laughs> uh, different lines uh, with so the, the art kind of matches between the mugs. And they've released several lines, I guess, over the years. And, and my father has become, he started collecting them as when he, when he retired, he started, he, uh, he and my mother travel a lot and spend, uh, spend my inheritance. And, um, and, They've been collecting these, and my he has literally hundreds of these these mugs now, and so. But that's cool because they represent like places he's been to. So yeah. I get that, that's, and so so every awesome. time I go somewhere, I try to to get him one and bring it back and give it. But to But then him. he hasn't been there. Well, usually he has. Okay, he's, the places I go, he's already been a bunch of times. It's because okay, because this is an issue with me, and I'm going to tell you something that I don't think I've said on a podcast yet, but I'm going to tell talk to you about one of the bitternesses of Carrington's past. <laughs> So I read, a, I read about this book. I didn't read the book, but I heard about the book in an interview. 
And this fellow wrote a book called Henry and Me. Couldn't get it published anywhere, which probably tells you something about the quality of this book. Tried and tried and tried to get it published. Nobody wanted to publish it. So he decided, I'm going to publish it myself. And normally it'd be like, you know, Vanity Press, I would not be interested. But he decides to publish the book, make hundreds and hundreds, maybe even a couple thousand copies of the book, buy a bookstore, set up something called the One Book Bookstore. And the entire bookstore is his book. Every book on every shelf is his book. He runs it. Come in. You can buy his book. He signs it. I thought, you know, this guy's got moxie. I now want to read his book. And so it was in Arizona. And he's got the one book bookstore. He then wrote a sequel to the book. I don't know what it's called. But he opened, of course, another bookstore across the street run by his wife. And it was called the other book bookstore. And I love this guy. I'm like, I've, I've got to read your books. I have to, I have to go meet him and get the book signed. Isn't that awesome? My parents took a trip down to Arizona, went to the, uh, the, the big ditch there they have, <laughs> big famous ditch in Arizona, and thought, because I had talked about this, this book and this bookstore, and it's like, I, I got to get this book. They took this massive detour to drive out in the middle of nowhere, found the bookstore, and bought me the book, which completely de- defeats the purpose, because it's not like this is going to be an amazing book. I didn't want the book. I wanted to go to the one book bookstore and to, to have the book as a token of having gone there and met this guy. And then I never went to the One Book Bookstore because now I've got the book. And who's going to go to the One Book Bookstore, which literally has the purpose of selling nothing other than something I already have that I didn't really want in the first place? So I, that's why I thought, don't go to these cities and buy mugs for your dad because then he doesn't <laughs> get to go to the city and buy the mug, so, he so, says with bitterness. So, so in other words, the, the experience of, of going to get the book um, instead of, say, oh, I don't know, buying it on eBay – uh, it is part of what makes it valuable to you? Absolutely. You it's all of what makes it valuable to me. I've, <laughs> you know, I've never even read the book. I still have it probably. But it just is just a book that no, literally nobody wanted to publish. How good can this book be? And so then when you went on, say, uh, BLOV instead of KLOV uh, and talked about how you how you got your book that way <laughs> instead of by, you know, having the effort of, of collecting it and people shouted you I'm only you down. now clued into what you're doing. <laughs> I am slow this morning and you are an evil man, an evil, evil man. And listeners to our show probably clued in earlier to how evil you are. And if you don't know why Mike is being evil right now, go back and listen to the last 20 episodes or so. You... I, I'm not very subtle, so I'm sort of surprised at it. Subtle <laughs> enough that I missed it. But yes, the point is how you, oh, you know what? Just screw you. <laughs> but well played. Well played and screw you. So Both of those at once, my, mister. My original, my original story, going back to the mug collecting, was that one back, the... If you stay on topic. This is a podcast <laughs> about right. mugs. Stay on the mugs. <laughs> my, um, the one mug that he, he always wanted, because... He grew up around Kansas City and in that area was was a, a mug from Kansas City. And every time he'd been there, they didn't have it. Every time I'd been there, they didn't have it because I guess they released one. They didn't have a mug in Kansas City? Oh, you, it's particular, oh yeah, you need the one particular well, Starbucks they, mug. Well, they released the, the Kansas City City mug and it didn't sell. And so I guess Starbucks. I don't think it's actually called Kansas City City. I think, I think it's I called. Think it's it is a Kansas. city mug of Kansas City oh, from see. Starbucks. Welcome to Kansas City City. Uh. Never mind. Though which that would be pretty awesome. Let's talk about the game. Called that. Oh, no, feedback. I want to hear about the mug. Nope. Tell me. You're nope. leaving me hanging I'm here. Not I'm not going to subscribe to this mug podcast. So get it all out in this one one episode. <laughs> so did you buy him the mug? <laughs> they didn't have one for many years. 
what I was saying, that Starbucks was punishing But did, the city. did you eventually get it? Eventually I got it. And I got it this time when I was at Kansas Fest. And so that's my oh, nice. mug collecting story. I don't collect them. My father does. There. I think that was a lovely story. And then I went on BDLOV and talked about how great it was. <laughs> and how everyone was mad at you because you didn't glaze it yourself. That's so right. you're a total poser. That's right. <laughs> If you drink coffee out of anything other than if you go and dig the clay up with your own hands <laughs> and form it and glaze it, that's the only real coffee. Lovers. It is, yes. Although they did give me some credit because I said that I occasionally go to, to, to mug auctions. You know, and that's, I hear you. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we'll cut up, we'll cut up do feedback? What? What are we talking about? Let's do feedback. <laughs> um, we did get feedback. We got email. I don't know if we got anything on Facebook because I leave that to you. We talked about that last week. Uh, oh, speaking of Facebook, though, Quinn wrote us in to say that she had warned us about something. What did she say here? She goes, she yes. Us, yep. Yeah, about um, this is regarding last week's game. Oh, speaking of which, uh, last week we talked about how I or I talked and bragged about how I do the show notes and how I'm totally awesome and do all the work. And then I forgot to post the show notes. Well, I posted them, but I forgot to put the link on the website. So unless you knew to just go up to the URL and change the 96 to a 97 and you'd see the show notes. So they were technically there all week, um, but I didn't actually make the link live. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> After bragging in the show about how awesome I am, then I became a little less awesome. You're too Keep awesome to care about things like that. Tall poppy syndrome. Uh, so Quinn wrote in to say, yes, I warned you in a Facebook post that I wrote long after the podcast was recorded and posted. I warned you that if you didn't discuss Sensei for the Apple IIGS in your already recorded Karate Champ episode, I would write a sternly worded email. Tax evasion, Final exam. Those are stern words, and they have been emailed to you, so there. Luckily, I have half a podcast of my own now where I can talk about the amazing port of Karate Champ on the 2GS, and maybe I will. That was her sternly worded email. There were stern words in it. Mm -hmm. I still have not played the Sensei game. I don't even know it. I was not aware of it. I was not aware that they had games on the 2GS, frankly. Sure, they've got some really good ones. I know that they do. Sort of I just there, there were not a, there was not a lot of software ever produced for the two GS just in general. So Pastimes in Tone Town, that game alone is a reason to have a two GS. Well, and to make it to to make the the matter even more obscure, Sensei wasn't uh, Sensei was a shareware game instead of um, I, I guess like a, instead of a retail title. Re a real game is the word you're looking so. for. <laughs> <laughs> so have never heard of it. And My friend all. Sherry who I do the double take podcast with she, her favorite game as a kid was a shareware game. That's something to do with some sort of murder mystery. I think it's called sleuth and it's some sort of shareware game. And the point is at the very beginning, you type in the name of like six different people. And so you'll pick your friends or put them in. And then how it works is one of those people is chosen to be the murdered victim. And then the rest of them, it's like a little top-down view of a map. It's very, very basic graphics. It looks almost like a roguelike and you walk around and you have to, interview people you ask some questions and you get clues about which of the people is the murderer and then you gather them all together and you only have so many turns in which to figure this out you gather them together in one room and then you accuse one of them and it's fun as a kid because you'll put in all your names and they'll say like oh uh like you you have your friends kim and bob and it turns out bob is now dead and you later get to accuse kim of being a murderer so it's fun for kids so she's um come over to my house and made me play that game at some point where we play together she thinks it's really funny to put it in and then i'm dead she finds that hilarious <laughs> the body of crazy medicine was discovered hours ago <laughs> she likes to read that loud and talk about how i'm dead so that's what it's like to podcast with people folks <laughs> um should we get back to feedback <laughs> or talk do you have another mug story to share uh, only if you have another book story to share uh the other book story, <laughs> the, um, story. <laughs> apparently sensei is, was known for its 
excellent use of the music, the stereo music effect. Um, if you have a one of the, the thing, uh, here we go off track again. <laughs> stereo, yeah, stereo from a two GS. Oh, well, the two GS actually does have does generate stereo sound. It just and, won't let you hear it, right? You're, it it <laughs> it channels it into a a mono audio out because of the lawsuit with Apple Records and their and Apple's uh, agreement not to produce digital music and all that stuff. And so there are now add on cards that you can buy for your two GS, which kind of demux the signal back into stereo. So if you get one of these. Apparently, Sensei has really, really great sound and music. Cool. Yeah. Because you think once people learned that it wasn't outputting the stereo, why go to the effort to make great stereo sound? Because no one's going to hear it. So I guess so few people went to the effort to make games for the system anyway. They knew that, some, that somewhere down the road, someone would create a card that would turn the sound back into stereo. And they were Somehow wanted to they, be ready for it. Yeah, that, that must be the case. Sure. That's the way it was. Uh, Sean, Sean wrote in to say, hello, Sean. Um, oh, he's from, does the Pac-Maniacs blog that we recently linked to. He wrote to ask us a question. He says, Pac-Man, Galaga, Donkey Kong, and the like, heck, even NBA Jam are often referred to as, quote, retro, quote, games, or flashback games, or vintage games, or old games, and possibly other adjectives I'm leaving out. But here's something to consider. You never ever hear those adjectives used to describe, say, Scrabble or Monopoly. And those games have been around longer than probably most of your listeners have been alive. And Parcheesi goes back thousands of years, doesn't it? So why are video games given that label, but not other games? Why is video on a screen technology the factor? And then he's got an idea. He says, I guess it it just goes along with how you read a newspaper article about... Uh, retro arcade or retro gaming it often refers to people reliving their childhoods or bringing back yesteryear well for me it's neither of those cases i play these old video games because quite simply i like them i've been playing them since the 80s i'm not trying to relive my childhood so much as i'm doing something i didn't have as much opportunity to do when i was nine years old what are your thoughts so i turn that to you mr mcginnis what are your thoughts why are video games referred to as retro things whereas something like board games are not well, I think those are referred to as – I think they're retro because they're not being made anymore. The games that we talk about, NBA Jam and, and Donkey Kong and Galaga and stuff, uh, were made for a period of time and now they're not. Scrabble, Parcheesi, um, Sorry, Monopoly, those are still being made. If you were to talk about a specific version of Monopoly from 1949, that would probably be referred to as a, a vintage version of Monopoly. So. I think that's a good answer. I was thinking about this, and I wasn't really sure what my answer would be. I think my answer is now going to be your answer. What he what he said <laughs> there, Sean. What what he because you're right because I I don't think of Monopoly as being an old game, although I do think of it as a game that's been around for ages. But it is something people currently play, people currently talk about. It's currently sold. But there are lots of say board games that might have been made in the 50s or 60s, and if they haven't been made since then, I would call that a retro game or a, or a flashback game or something. And, and probably other people would as well. If you would go on eBay, say, looking for vintage board games, and that's what you would call them. And it's particularly if you're looking for either a very old version of Scrabble or a version of a board game that, that hasn't been made since the 1970s or 80s. Yeah, I like, I like your answer, Mr. McGinnis. Well, well played you. So you're, Have going, a mug. you're going to adopt it and then take credit for it? Is that- I'm going to drive to the city that you wanted to visit, and I'm going to buy you a mug <sighs> with a book on the cover, or on the, on, the, on the front of it, on the cover, on the cover of the mug, and then you'll never be able to go to the city. I can basically ban you from a city by giving you a mug. It's like a magical power I have just suddenly discovered. Don't do that, no. <laughs> 
In fact, I, I, I got sick on the weekend. Weirdly, I had like a stomach flu very, very briefly. I went to bed feeling amazing and I woke up feeling just awful. As usual. Like, what, what happened? I did. I went, but I went to bed particularly thinking, like, I feel great. And I was thinking on Monday, I'm going to see the new Doctor Who episode in the cinema. I've got tickets to go see it in the cinema. Awesome. This weekend, starting on Thursday, is Fan Expo in Toronto. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's going to be awesome. I was feeling good. I got a good friend of mine coming into town this week that's going to go to Fan Expo. I was like, everything's coming up. Carrington, life is great. Went to bed, woke up like six hours later feeling awful. I was like, what? What happened? What? Is this a karma thing? Why do I feel so awful? And then I went back to sleep and my last thought before I went back to sleep, and this is the point of the story, was I feel so terrible that I hope, one, I hope I wake up, but if I do wake up, I'm probably going to wake up with superpowers because this is the kind of feeling that people in the comics look like they're feeling before they wake up and they can shoot webs and stuff. So maybe it is the case that I have the power to go to cities and buy you mugs and ban you. You don't know. I think you just go to bed every night feeling that completely, totally awesome. And then when you woke up not feeling well, your awesomeness overcame it and you were feeling good again. That's <laughs> why well, it didn't last very long. That's probably why it didn't last very long. You know, eight hours later, I felt great again. I think it was just something I ate. But I, again, feel awesome. Uh, Rob O'Hara wrote in. He said, uh, talking about Karate Champ last week, he said, ooh, one of my favorites. When I began collecting machines, this is one of the first ones I tracked down. It's great fun for one player and even more fun for two. Yeah, and we talked about how how we need to find – uh, a cabinet of this in Kansas City, and so we can kick each other's butts. Exactly, because this seems like a game that would be benefit a lot from from two player play instead. Yeah, of, I can't wait to play two player against yeah. somebody who's not good though, because I think it's a game <laughs> where I'll get destroyed at. Yeah, Rob says uh, I, I've never actually seen a one player version in the wild. I know that the two player version was offered as an upgrade kit, and I suspect many or most of the one player cabinets were quickly converted into the two players. And he's got a, a link to a a list of data east kits that we'll have a we'll have in the show notes he says the one i own had a one-player bezel but was the two-player version uh then again it was installed in a converted dig dug cabinet so perhaps mine may have had some identity issues uh for being such an early game it has a surprising amount of depth to the strategy when i think of games like uh, kung fu master and yar kung fu both of which i love uh, they mostly revolve around finding your opponent's single weakness and then exploiting it over and over yes i think that's very true um Rob goes on to say, as Carrington mentioned on the show, that doesn't work in Karate Champ. Leg sweeps and flying high kicks will only only get you so far. Uh, one of the most frustrating things in this game is when you accidentally jump or flip over your opponent, leaving you leaving the two of you back to back. It's a good idea to remember the controls to perform a back kick or a back sweep when this happens. Uh, you can backflip over your opponent. However, a well-timed roundhouse from your opponent will also spoil your uh, both your flip and your pretty looks. Now we didn't talk about that too much. So it's easy to end up in a situation where you're, you can't just flip around and, and continue fighting in the other direction. Um, he says, uh, one thing you may not have experienced by only playing the game in the single player mode is that for two player or for player two, all the controls are reversed. This makes the game maddeningly difficult for an experienced player who has memorized all the moves. Of course, when you are awesome at this game like I am, that never happened because you start out on the left and force <laughs> challengers to line up on the right. Yeah. And then he says, uh, P.S. I took karate as a kid in the 80s and fought in a lot of tournaments. Often they would tie a small white ribbon to the back ones of one kid's belt and a red one to the other. So whenever they would score a point, uh, they would just say red or white. I'm guessing that both the colors in the karate champ are based on some historical tradition I'm not familiar with. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Good email. Like, he, he should have a podcast of his own. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, that would be good. Too bad he's not doing that. Yeah, no. Or, or he definitely doesn't have a few podcasts. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay, so speaking of Karate Champ, we also got Kim wrote in to tell us that we had gone on about how Karate Champ was basically the first arcade fighting game. She wrote in to correct us. Of course. Karate Champ was not the first arcade fighting game. Nice try, boys, but wrong. The first one, I think, was Heavyweight Champ in 1976. Wow. Holy cow. And then she gave us a link to the Wikipedia article. And yes, indeed, there is an arcade game from 1976 called Heavyweight Champ. She, then she goes on to say, also, Sega's Champion Boxing was 1983, so that came before Karate Champ 2. It gave us a link for that. There were even lots of home versions of this kind of game that came out before Karate Champ even hit the arcades. I can think of Karate Champ for Atari VCS in 1982 and Bushido, The Way of the Warrior, for IBM PC in 1983. Karate Champ was even predated by two Commodore 64 games, Attack of the Phantom Karate Devils by Phantom Software (laughs) and Super Black Belt Karate. But don't worry, the Apple II was repped back then as well. The game Black Belt came out for both the Apple II and the C64, also in 1983. But even with all those many, many games you guys didn't think of, you're right that it's safe to say that Karate Champ is the game that first popularized this kind of game. But that doesn't mean it's not fun to write in and tell you how wrong you were. That's usually my favorite part of the feedback. So it's nice to take part in it this time. Still a fan anyway, Kim in Vancouver. Nice email, Kim. Mike is probably going to ban you. Am I correct, Mike? Already done. Yep. I thought so. (laughs) But yeah, so she gave us links to all those things. And so that will nicely pad out this week's... uh, um, uh, show notes, which maybe I'll even make available to the general public. <laughs> hey, anything could happen. Oh, speaking of links, uh, last one, Egan Ford uh, wrote in to send us a link. I like his emails because it's usually just, here's a link, no explanation, <laughs> there you go. Um, and this one spoke for itself. It's called unemulated colon, unemulated colon, <laughs> no, unemulated colon, 11 classic arcade games you can't play at home. So I'll throw this link in the show notes. It's over at Ars Technica. Uh, and I liked it. It's it's definitely worth a read. It's a, and it's interesting and it's neat that Ars Technica took a look at this like stuff and and it's a recent thing. It came out in August, um, so it's a, a list of of games that you really can't play at home. I had assumed it would be stuff you can't play because of the controls, but this was more about like the actual ROMs not working in emulators yet. Things like Crazy Auto and Raiden Two. Um, I would argue personally that a lot of better and more fun games should have been on the list just because of the specialized arcade controls or something else, but the hardware that means that like home playing by MAME is either not possible or just you can't get the same experience at all. Like things like, um, like Sinistar and Star Wars and Road Blaster and 700 degrees and, or 720, 720 degrees, uh, or I guess heck pretty much any vector game. So I think the you know, these 11 classics are, are one thing, but I think there's actually a very large number of games that you can't really play at home. Makes sense to me. It does make sense to you. A lot of what I say makes sense to you. That's why I get to have the, 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 the hot tea. It's my, it's my reward. I got this tea in a city you can no longer go to because of my new superpowers. Man, I hate that. <laughs> it's a shame. Uh, anyway, I think that's the end of our, our feedback. I have closed every window, so that's all I got. <laughs> we did have one person guess this week's game correctly. Uh, congratulations, nice. Matthew Hall. It, you were correct. It was indeed uh, Capcom's Black Tiger or Black Dragon if you're in Japan. Yeah, so I, I'm not really sure which came out first, um, but they seem to come out pretty concurrently. But yeah, so I played, we were playing Black Tiger, which is the North American version. 
Um, and I have some notes about what makes Black Dragon different, but it seems to be basically the same game, but harder if it's Black Dragon. So Black, Black Tigers is a side-scrolling hack-and-slash Dungeons and Dragons type game. Only I don't they don't have the didn't didn't get a D and D license or anything like that. So, but you're right. I, it kept reminding me of of well, basically Ghosts and Goblins, but it had a real Dungeons and Dragons element to it. I right. completely and agree. Instead of the instead of the zombies and the ghosts and stuff that you had with, uh, um, well, with Ghosts and Goblins, uh, yeah, this is more of a fantasy setting. You play a barbarian hero who jumps and fights his way through a variety of colorful enemy packed levels. The sprawling eight way. Scrolling two-dimensional levels are, are filled with hidden bonuses to encourage and reward exploration. So I, I did find that, and I and I completely agree, and I want to talk about that because there's all these little secrets and you can destroy walls, and it really does encourage you to explore, even though there's a time limit. So they encourage you to, to explore because the whole point is you'll run out of time and have to put another quarter in. This thing wants your quarters and it wants them badly. Um, but everyone talks about like these sprawling levels, and I didn't find the the one or two levels that I got to view were really, were really that's a little hint about how badly I did. We're really that sprawling. It's just that more that there's a lot in them. So it's not like these levels are massively long. And even if you did a, a like a, a time trial run through, it would take you ages to get to the end of them. It's more that just they're really packed with bad guys and, and secrets and, and, you know, just stuff. Yeah, and in fact, if you go on, uh, there's a couple of web pages that we we found while we were uh, reading about this game. One of them is called vgmaps.com, which looks like a completely, totally awesome website that uh, is is nothing but uh, images of of maps of arcade games. Yeah, it's super um, cool. This video game atlas site, I and, like it a lot. And one of them is for obviously for uh, Black Tiger, uh, so you can pull up sort of this. And I don't know if they just did screenshots and pasted them together or, or if they found some other way to extract the, the level graphics and put them together. Um, but yeah, the, the levels themselves don't look all that large. You just, there's so much going on in them and, and maybe it's just that, you know, you, you're going to die a whole bunch of times to get, or at least yep. we did to, to get to, to each level. It, it feels like it's large. Um, I don't know, but uh, there are eight rounds in total. Um, and I, I am told, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you like you say you you play this barbarian um which means you as a character you don't really have much motivation other than you like you really want to go for a walk and you're willing to kill your way across <laughs> the country to do it um so there is this english thing at the beginning that kind of describes a setup but it didn't really make a lot of sense to me and doesn't really matter you, you you know what you're doing you're starting near the left you want to go to the right. You're armed. There's bad guys. What do you think you're going to do? <laughs> um, you're, speaking of your arms, so you start off, like your basic weapon is a, everyone calls it a mace, but it's really a morning star. So you got like a, a ball thing on a chain. and uh, But instead of swinging it, you sort of shoot it forward um, and then use the chain to, to snap it back. So it's a kind of an odd use of a morning star and it's very counter to the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. Although this game does just... Remind me of Dungeons and Dragons in lots of ways. And you also have these throwing daggers that shoot. It's kind of like your, your, your gun weapon, but it's these daggers. And you have an unlimited number of them, which is very nice. I love unlimited daggers. And it's, they shoot both forward and slightly up on an angle. So that's sort of your, your higher shot, which is, which is very handy. Um, you can buy upgrades and you can also find upgrades. And there's lots of ways you can increase your armor and your, your weapons. 
your unlimited daggers. I did buy an armor upgrade once, and then my I had no daggers while I had that armor. So I was like, wait, I, I liked my daggers. I didn't want to get rid of my daggers. So, so until you get to know the upgrades, sometimes some of them didn't seem as good to me as others. Um, lots and lots of bad guys, like a crazy huge list of bad guys. And it's a very colorful game, so I really like that. Uh, I didn't like the fact that you can't fire up with your daggers, there's many times you'll be climbing these spine. There's these weird spine things, like giant cactuses or whatever. I guess they're supposed to be spines that you can <laughs> jump on and climb to go to various levels, and that's really fun. So it opens up this level huge, or like well, the two levels I saw. Because instead of just walking along the ground like you do in Ghosts and Goblins, here you you got to go up through various platforms and climb and jump, and that's really super fun. But a lot of times there's these snake things on the the cactus spines, and you can't just shoot straight upwards. So that was very frustrating for me. I do. I, I agree that the uh, those those climbing columns or whatever you want to call them really sort of change the dynamic of the game because it it's still at its at its core it's still very linear. You start on the left, you go to the right. There's exit. You know you you're trying to get to the exit door to get to the next level, but you can climb the columns and sort of jump back onto platforms and, and there are little diversion. I think each level has a dungeon that you can go into. Yeah, there's like a dungeon inside a dungeon. It's an inception thing. It's pretty cool. Right. So it, it feels very um, less, it, it feels less linear than, than a game like uh, ghosts and goblins uh, while at the same time, not really actually being all that much more linear. Now, as you, as you make your way across, there's these, these gaps that you have to jump over and, I keep saying, as I'm looking at the level maps, there are these arrows um, that I, I think are just they're these little red uh, squares, and it's got a mm-hmm. kind of an arrow. Yeah, in the that, game, you play them, and they're sort of like pointing up, go yeah. here or go there. And it confused me because in some places, there are like arrows stacked on top of each other, all pointing in the same direction. I don't know if that means that if you jump from a different height, different things happen. I was not able to make different things happen when I jumped at different points. I found the same problem. Or not problem, but yeah, I also was thinking, so, why, why are these stacked up? Or why are there two arrows pointing in two different directions? Is that like, I can go either way? I know I can go either way. I can go in any way I want. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there are treasure chests and there are little pots and you can smash those open and you get bonuses. And eh, some bonuses are better than others and some open up. In the Time. Time is a good uh, bonus. Time is always a good bonus. Yeah, this is a the, these levels are timed. Uh, and, and unlike some of the other games that we played that have these timers that are supposed to encourage you to move onward and upward, this one and don't because they give you so much time it's meaningless this is a very limited um, mm-hmm. so you have to think hey do i want to explore up there because maybe i'll find something that will give me 30 seconds extra but what if i don't then i want so but that made it exciting because it really does encourage exploring because you can get bonuses you can you can get new armor or a better weapon or what have you so that that can be really useful sometimes even necessary but at the same time you're going to be spending some of your precious time doing it and if you're new to the game like i was then it's not like I will be aware. Oh, don't don't bother going up there, or do go up there. And so it really felt like there was some risk involved in exploring, but then a lot of times some great reward. And I thought that was fantastic, really well balanced there. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, again, uh, the feeling of of uh, the illusion of added depth there. Mm-hmm. Um, as you make your way through these levels, there are the these old men. I think they're called the, yep, the, the wise, wise old men. Or and, the, yeah, and ultimately, I think your goal is to rescue as many of them as possible, and you do that simply by running up to them, and, and they will. Uh, grant you more bonuses. The, those tend to be better than what you find in the chests and in the pots and things like that. I did find that so I got to the point where sometimes I didn't even want to smash the pots because there's these blue slime things. That would come out those little slimy things on the ground. I was like, oh, the pots don't really usually give you such great stuff. 
So I'm like, God, do I want to? Because if it's those stinking blue slime things, I'm like, well, ah. those things are kind of hard to kill. You have to hit them a bunch of times with your yeah. You have to sort of duck down to be able to hit them too. Like your normal shots will just sail over top of them. And and when they touch you, like they'll pop out of the pot and then they're right on top of you and they're draining your life immediately. And it's frustrating and, and because I suck at this game. And um, was it- well, I did learn that what you got to do is try to destroy the pots from as big of a distance as you can. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key. And, and as some of these bigger monsters will approach you, I found that that especially early on, um, you know, the, the I don't know if they're hulks or what they were, but the things that are coming at you, you can, you just duck down and, and you can just pound the, the attack key over and over and over. And, mm-hmm. and Yeah, those stone monsters. Right, because it, yeah. each each hit tends to stun them for just a second or, or so. And so you can, that allows you to hit them again and again and again. And that doesn't work later on with more sophisticated uh, enemies, but early on, it's a good way to at least feel like you're making some progress because you're going to die a lot in this game. Yes, <laughs> which is why Quarter Sucker, totally a Quarter Sucker game, is a game designed that you're not going to get through all the levels with one quarter. You've got to pay your way through. I liked with the um, the wise old men, speaking of paying your way through, uh, whenever you free one, they'd say, thank you, I'm in debt to you, and he'd do this little bow, and then he would give you something, like give you time or give you money, and the money is these zenny coins and so that's another Dungeon and Dragon sort of thing because you'll get these these stores basically, or sometimes the wise old men will themselves be willing to sell you something, and so you can buy uh, keys that will open up the treasure chest. You can buy potions. You can buy like health bonus thingies and, or weapon upgrades and armor upgrades. So that that is sort of an RPG element in it. Although you don't have like character stats, you do have a health level and you do have abilities through your your armor and your weapons. So um, it's that's kind of neat. Um, but for the most part, because I was bad at the game um, and just playing on the one quarter, the best the, the best gift was the gift of time. It's the, the gift that keeps on giving for another thirty seconds. <laughs> so that's what I would like most of all. Yeah, yeah. The time is time is a good thing to have. I bet you when you get better at this game, or if you pump like a thousand quarters in and you don't care, then you want the the cool armor upgrades and stuff. But for the most part, I just wanted to have my game last longer. <laughs> now, like I said, each uh, there, there are eight different rounds, I guess, or eight levels uh, in the game, and each one I, I like that each one has kind of its own theme. You know, so the first one you start out, and uh, there's like a big what looks like maybe a dinosaur. Uh, skull on the wall and it feels very cavey like you're down sort of deep in the dungeon and then you move to the next one and the next one feels more like um a forest you know you got the green backgrounds and yeah and i like that too that because when i finally did get to the second level which (laughs) heads up that's as far as i ever got um i did like that it really felt like it wasn't just the same thing again and that made me really encouraged that hey i guess like you're saying now it's it, there's going to be multiple levels and they're going to feel different. So that that's pretty cool. Well, on the third level, in fact, neither I, it sounds like neither of us made it that far, but nope. uh, the third level is actually a vertical level. I mean, you start at the bottom and it's very much... Well, that would know, suck because you can't shoot straight up. Yep, you have to It's kind of very much jump up on the platform, clear the platform, go up to the next one. Um, and then... And I'm, I'm, I know this because I'm looking at the, the maps uh, on, on vgmaps.com, but... Once you get further into the game, uh, I think it looks like it starts at, at round six. Um, it's kind of a very, you know, we, I talked about how it, it's mostly a linear game, and it is. You have to get from, you know, the, your starting point on the left to your end point on the right. But level six, for example, is kind of just a bunch of platforms, uh, and it's up to you how you want to make your way up to the top there. It's, it's very... It's it's very open to how you, where you want to go, and it looks like you could probably get from one end to the other 
pretty quickly and and but I think you miss out on a lot of bonus points um so yeah there's there's a lot of there's a feeling of 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 choice and maybe not complete open world freedom there but certainly more than more than you know something that's a rail shooter or a game like that mm-hmm. and I think it goes hand in hand with the the fact that these levels while they're not sprawlingly huge do feel like there's a lot of variety even within the level and that the the, the levels you know, feel huger maybe than they physically are because there's so much variety and there's lots and lots of hidden bonuses and goodies to find. Again, going back to that whole encouraging the exploration um, and the fact that there's like a dungeon inside each dungeon. So that's kind of neat that that opens it up and and um, that you can like, there's certain walls you'll be able to attack and just like, here are some coins or here are some extra points and things. And so uh, it, it just feels big and there's so much variety in the enemies you face, like just a huge number of different monsters come at you, the spiders and skeletons and snakes and, and other dudes with shields. And just, so I like that a lot. Like there's, there's a lot of variety to this game and I played a whole bunch this week. You, you might not think that given how little I got into the <laughs> game that I didn't really have a lot of practice, but I did. I just really bad at it. Um, and I was continually impressed by how much game there is in this game. Like how, how many different, um, graphics are like just like the the number of sprites not just on screen at once but just the the number of different things there are to see in the level um is really impressive like so i was i was i i i gotta say like i was thoroughly enjoying playing this game and it's not really the sort of game that i super love i mean i like this kind of thing better than a, a, a generic maze game but i'm usually not great at them but i did like ghosts and goblins a lot and this game is is like that taken to another level, like literally to another level because you're going up and down, but also just more variety and more things to do um, and just like more enemies and more secrets and that whole element of being able to buy things and just, you know, the whole RPG stuff that is added in. So really, really fun game. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's easy to make the comparisons to Ghosts and Goblins because they're both by Capcom and so the... The gameplay, the graphics are similar, and it has sort of the, a similar feel to it as you're making your way through it. Yeah, or Rygar, another one it reminded me of. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I and maybe I'm sure I'll take some crap for saying this, but I kind of all the stuff that I didn't like about Ghosts and Goblins is the stuff that works really well in in this in, in Black Tiger. It's, obviously, they didn't develop Black Tiger to bug fix or you know they thought oh Ghosts and Goblins was awful we need to do something else and but all the stuff i didn't like in ghosts and goblins is is not present or works well in uh in black tiger and um you know there's i i did find that the humor that you saw in ghosts and goblins you know the guy gets hit in his and his son is running around in his underwear uh that didn't really happen in black black tiger but i didn't miss it so I did. That's another thing that really reminded me. That's one of the things that really jumps out in the way that in Ghosts and Goblins, you get hit, you do that sort of jump back, jump back, <laughs> you jump back and your armor flies off and now you're in your undies or whatever. But that sort of jump back move is very similar to the way you'll die here. Like, yeah, sort of you, you do that same sort of move up and back ah. and you fade away. So that, that kept reminding but, me of Ghosts and Goblins too. But in, uh, unlike in Ghosts and Goblins, where when you die, you start like way, way back at the beginning, um, this one you do move back a little bit, but it's not as far back, so it doesn't feel like you kind of. It doesn't become like this grind where you're having to repeat the same stuff over and over if you die at a at an end, point at an end boss. And um, you want to move back at least a little bit because you want to be right on top of the thing that just killed you. Right. So it is sort of the right amount that you do feel like you're you you haven't lost the progress that you had made. Well, and see, and and this is probably just because I suck at this game. This I I died every mu- every bit as much 
in in Black Tigers, I did in Ghosts and Goblins, and I think I think at least for me that game was just as hard as Ghosts and Goblins, but it wasn't as irritating and frustrating when when I was having trouble as as the as the, the previous game was. So the weird thing is, I completely agree. It's not that I find Ghosts and Goblins frustrating, but it's odd that I kept being left with the impression that this game is easier than Ghosts and Goblins. But I don't get as far. My score is low. Like, <laughs> you? So if you looked at it like from a statistics point, it would seem that this, this game is much harder, even though I hear Black Tiger is much easier than Black Dragon. So we're playing the, the, the North American easy version of the game. What? And yet it kept feeling to me like, oh yeah, this game is much easier than Ghosts and Goblins, and yet I do worse at it. So it's it's, it's walking an interesting line where it makes you feel like you're accomplishing more, even if you don't do as well at the game. <laughs> so it's, it's it's walking an interesting line here. Yeah, and I'm sure this is uh, heretical for me to say, but I, I actually liked Black Tiger a lot more than, than Ghosts and Goblins. I think I liked them the same. I think I was enjoying this one now just because it's fresh. I hadn't played this before, whereas Ghosts and Goblins was a classic that I had played before. Whereas this, I had I had never, ever played this game. Like So my, my personal catalog of games this is really that deep. And I was like, oh, this looks fun. So mostly I'm, I'm thinking, how, hey, this is like Rygar. This is like Ghosts and Goblins. So I'm comparing it to the few games I know. Um, but I was I was really digging it. Like so, I wouldn't say I necessarily like it more than Ghosts and Goblins because uh, I do kind of miss the humor from Ghosts and Goblins. But I I also like there's there's so much here. And it, and while we're playing it on the you know you only get one quarter rule for this week, I'm definitely going to come back and play the game again. And I definitely want to pump a bunch of quarters in. Or maybe the problem is you can sort of buy your way to the end of any quarter sucker by just saying I'm going to give myself five thousand million quarters. But I might say I'm going to give myself five or ten or something. So there's still some risk involved and see if I can get a little farther because I would like to see more levels. Like there's there's enough here that I definitely want to see. I'd like to see what level three looks like. <laughs> for instance. Yeah, there's a lot of variation um, from level to level that that really is kind of appealing. Now I don't know. I don't know. Once. If you play this game a lot and you got really good at it, um, I don't know that Deep there would, in the future. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that that there would be a lot of replay value, you know, because it just starts over. But but in same, that sense, doesn't Pac Man just start over? True, and at the yeah, and, and exactly, and this is this probably is challenging enough, even if you're good at it, that you know it doesn't feel like. Um, a very you know okay, well I've done this once and so it's simple. Yeah, but weirdly though, the more the more deep a game is in both mechanics and plot and that kind of stuff, in a sense, the less replay value will have. Because if something is really simple, if it's Frogger, if it's Space Invaders, it's inherently like a repetitive thing, and it and you can keep coming back to it forever and ever and ever. But if it's something as you add more and more elements to like being like a movie, the more that's going on, the more if I get to the end of it, I'll feel like, okay, I've finished that. I'm not going to come back and play it over and over again. Whereas a game like Space Invaders or something very simple is a game you take in small chunks that is inherently repetitive and I'll, I'll just come back to it over and over and over. So in a sense, a simpler game can have more replay value for me. Hmm, but then again, that. I want to drive to Arizona and read a book. <laughs> so I hadn't thought about that. That's uh, an interesting point. It's an, it's a very interesting, it's a fascinating point. Well, and probably have a whole show on that point. <laughs> I don't, yes. maybe not. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can skip that. Simple, the games well, of Carrington. <laughs> once you do finish this game, apparently the Japanese version is a lot harder. I didn't read a whole lot about. Black yeah, so when Dragon, I'm looking for that so, extra challenge, <laughs> well, whatever. I didn't. I didn't actually read that much about Black Dragon because I didn't know it was that different. But you said that there are actually there's a there's it's quite a bit different. 
Yeah. So as far as I can tell, um, it's just sort of in the details. It really is like the same game, but in Black Dragon, the the items are more expensive. There are more of those rock pitfall thingies. There are more enemies. I can't even imagine that there'd be more, but there's actually more enemies on screen. The bosses are supposedly a lot harder as well. I'm like, oh my gosh, because these bosses, I did find <laughs> yeah. with these rock monster thingies, I could get past that first boss and I never actually made it to a dragon. So, <laughs> so I don't even know if those are difficult, but I'm, presumably they are. But supposedly just like in all the little ways, it's just made a more difficult game. So then there's more challenge after you've easily defeated yeah. the American version. Which would be good. I mean, once I, many years from now, got to that point, I think that would be a long time from now. It is the kind of game, being a quarter sucker, it's the kind of game that technically I would be able to fit. Like, everybody could finish it, I think, if you had enough quarters, enough invisible quarters. So it's the kind of game I never would have finished in an arcade, but now have at least the potential to finish by, you know, massively cheating on me. (laughs) But then it would be like an empty feeling. Like, I think just buying my way to the end, I know I can... I can just hear Quinn just saying, you were doing that in Smash TV, (laughs) but it's different Uh, when you're, when you're spending real quarters, then it's, you know, it's legitimate. I don't know. I've, you know, I, I got nothing. I'm a big hypocrite. Uh, Black Tiger does feature a, a boss that uh, recurs in several other uh, Capcom games. Of course, neither you nor I got there, but I guess the level four boss is red, red Aramer, who is also featured as a boss in, uh, uh, a ghosts and goblins themed level in Makahima. I do not know yeah. this. And has appeared in uh, Namco versus Capcom um, and uh, the ghosts and goblins online trailer. So this, this, this red armor thing has appeared in a lot of their games and it's the level four boss uh, in black tiger. But Namco versus Capcom is exactly the kind of fighting game. I don't like I see that that's around the period of time where arcade we're losing me. And so just that that whole idea, Marvel vs. Kevin, all those just are not my sort of game at all. Well, this this game came out in 1987 um, and, and Ghosts and Goblins came out in 85. So they, were, they did have a couple of years to develop sort of, you know, see what worked or, or how, what they wanted to change. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm positive that, you know, not just the Red Aramur thing, but, but also, you know, the the gameplay in general is it there's definitely a very uh, a very strong ghosts and goblins influence uh, in in black tiger and i think that's a good thing overall um, i think so too with the um it's funny cuz this is 87 i find that because i'm an old school gamer and i liked the games at the beginning and then i moved on to, out of the arcade games into more computer oriented things for the most part i wasn't a fan of at the very end of the 80s and into the 90s the the look of the graphics it just it wasn't my sort of style and so generally as you get higher and higher resolutions and and you know quote better looking graphics in in arcades around that period i stopped liking them it's not really an uncanny valley thing but i kind of like my games to either be super simple or amazing looking graphics and i don't really like the stuff in between until you get into the really nice looking 16-bit stuff uh they kind of lost me for a while there and yet, this game, I thought, was really nice looking. Like, this looks like the kind of game that normally I would instinctively say I don't appreciate these graphics. But there's something about it. There's something about the colors. There's tons of colors, and they're well used. And just something about the, the character design that has enough, I, I wouldn't really say whimsy, but there's enough sort of character in them. Like, I like the big-headed snakes 
on the spine thingies and just the spine things in general. Um, so I actually really enjoyed the graphics here and I found them really colorful and really interesting. And I'm kind of surprised because I would have thought I wouldn't like them. Even from looking at a couple of screenshots, I was anticipating not liking the graphics. But in actual gameplay, I really enjoyed it. So I think it's a good looking game. I thought it was a good sounding game. I like I like the music, although it's a bit repetitive. What did you think of the what did you think of the tunes in this? I enjoyed the sound. It, it does it definitely has that sort of um adventuring music you know and it's got the the with the kind of the snare drum yeah it's kind of like something that would play in a disney ride right it's like a pirates of the caribbean sort of music to more synthesizer but it also has a nice that nice sort of 80s synth feel to it um that goes well i think with that kind of level of graphics um and and the gameplay in general um I like you. I, I was prepared not to to like the way the graphics look because when I look at those sort of platform hoppers, you know, where you bounce from point to point, it rem- reminds me a lot of the those the early Nintendo games. And for whatever reason, those just didn't appeal to me that much, like the the Mario, uh, Super Mario Brothers, and and stuff like that. But I think because of the way the the color schemes seem to have been chosen very carefully, nothing really clashes. And because the the levels have sort of a general overall theme to them, whether it's the forest or the cave, or I think later on you have like Roman columns and stuff. And and because they stuck to the the themes and everything's based around that sort of design, it actually comes together really well. And and I I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I I like the fact that like when you get – hit with you take damage from your enemy you kind of get this a little blue electric shock field around you um little touches like that that if you're in the heat of battle you don't necessarily i think it doesn't stand out as something that you immediately notice but it's there in your mind processes processes it as part of the overall graphic experience and and i don't know how intentional any of this was but it came together well regardless i agree i agree completely what kind of stuff powers this thing? Um, from what I found, it is a – let me find my handy-dandy sheet here – a Z80 at uh, 4 megahertz for, the, for the, the main CPU. There's another Z80 at 3 megahertz powering the sound and uh, two Yamaha YM2203s each at 3.57 megahertz doing the sound generation. Yeah, and it's a weird thing because that's what I – I kept seeing that online as well. Like when you read about the game, that's what everybody lists. But in my own main setup – it says this, the chips are at different speeds. Huh. It's so bizarre. Like if I look in my my, that's why it stood out to me. But that's not what I think it is. So <laughs> for some reason, my main setup seems to think that it's, yes, it's two Z80 chips, but the CPU is at six megahertz, not four. And the um, the one for sound is at that 3.579 blah, blah, blah megahertz, the same as the sound chips. Um, and it also says it's the two Yamaha sound chips at that speed as well. So it's, it's odd. I don't know if maybe that means... Mine was running fast, and that's an explanation. And I, we should like therefore effectively double my score. And yeah, that should count. I knew that was coming. I'm just waiting I'm for, sure. that. Waiting for sure that excuse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta have some sort of excuse. But yeah, it's, it's kind of odd because Mame is telling me one thing, but all the online online sites are saying another thing. The uh, graphics. It's a, a raster display at uh, 256 by 224 uh, with 1024 colors. And I think they used all of those colors very yeah. well. This, this I thought so too. Yeah, that's a lot of colors. Holy cow. The uh, game was designed by Emo Akapa. And I do not know that person. Or is it a, is it a, is it a person? Is it a, I, I think, yeah, that's the that's who they're listing as the programmer. Is it a he, a she, a they? <laughs> that I don't know. I don't know if this is a company. I, mean, I um, don't know that name. And the music was composed by Tamayo Kawamoto. Mm. Also, it doesn't ring a bell. No, but they did very 
good. I'm, I'm actually a very, I'm a big fan of this game. I think. I, yeah. Uh, at first, like you know, I, surprisingly I, so. I started dying a lot, you know, early on, and I never really stopped dying early on like that. But uh, I thought, oh man, this is going to be frustrating. I'm going to hate this, and, but I didn't. I just I kept wanting to continue to play now and now that we've done our one quarter challenge thing maybe that's what we should have called this podcast the one quarter podcast one one quarter uh, um now that we've done that i'm definitely going to go back and pump a bunch of quarters in because i want to play through some of those later levels there's an you know just looking at the, the screenshots of the maps there's enough variation that i'm very interested to see what comes later and i know that i'm never going to be good enough on one quarter to get to those later levels so i died very very quickly in my first few playthroughs, like just like you, I was like, oh gosh, this game's going to just walk all over me. And I wonder, partly like, you know, as you get older and I am a very old man now, you get, <laughs> you get worse at video games. You become slow and decrepit and you know, whatever. And so that's, that's how I play now, like a mummy playing these games called Creaky. But I wonder if I would have been just as bad back in 87 if I had encountered this in an arcade, which means I probably would never have played it much. I would have put it in one quarter, died immediately and went, uh, you know what? I'm heading, I'm heading to the back of the Frogger. So I think the fact that this is available in MAME, if you're playing at home or in like if you're in an arcade and most of them nowadays, you know, you pay once so you can play as much as you want. It opens up this game as something I would possibly play because there's no way back in the day I would have been willing to just keep risking quarter after quarter in a game that sort of immediately tells me it's going to play at this level that's going to just destroy me and take all my money. Right. And we've talked about in the past how, uh, having it emulated or or having your own cabinet and not having to pump real quarters into it where you basically you're not pulling from a limited pool of resources sort of changes kind of – I don't think it diminishes it. It sort of changes the dynamic of how you can uh, approach these games and, and which ones you're going to play and what's important to you about the games. Yeah. Uh, oh, I have to read this. I just found this. Um, Ooh, so, read to me. So, read me a story. <laughs> when you win the game, when you when you defeat the, when yeah when not if <laughs> that's when right when you defeat the final boss, the the text the English on the the final screen says, "Brave Black Tiger, with your superior skills and awesome weapons, you have defeated every enemy and destroyed the three dangerous dragons." Oh, so there's three dragons. Cool. Yes. I look forward to one day seeing one of them. <laughs> It's um, funny when you say Black Tiger, it keeps making me think there's this really good webcomic called Spinneret. Mm-hmm. It's really, really funny. Speaking of people getting superpowers, so mm-hmm. it's kind of a Spider-Man take, but this is Gal who gets Spider-Man's type of powers, but she gets like real spider powers. So she spins the webs, but they kind of shoot out of her butt and she gets six. She grows four more arms. So she has to hide for her by like sort of hugging herself and wearing loose sweaters. And it's, it's actually pretty funny, but in that, in that webcomic, I'll link to it in the show notes because I really like it. Um, she's got these two friends who are also super people. And there's Mecha Maid, um, who's this – or me- mechanical – yeah, Mecha Maid. So she's this mechanical maid outfit that she's in. And it's kind of neat because she's, she's in a wheelchair, but she's got this mech thing that lets her walk around, but only when she's doing her superpower stuff. But then there's also Tiger. So he's this Afri- African-American guy with like super strength and he wears a tiger outfit. But everyone calls him Black Tiger. Just because he's black. He's like, it's not black tiger, you bunch of racists. It's just tiger. <laughs> so playing this game, like where you say, you've defeated them. You defeated all the monsters, black tiger. I keep wanting somebody to say, it's not black tiger. It's just tiger. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so maybe that's the case. Maybe this whole time we've been, been super racist and turns out it actually is a game called Tiger and people are going to call us out on it. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, the cabinet. We should talk about the cabinet. Yeah, tell me about the cabinet, Carrington. It's 
crappy. <laughs> like, <laughs> welcome to welcome to late cabinet. Provides so a nice balance sold. for the game. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, really good game. Really dull cabinet. The, now the thing is, it's more that it's it's very generic. It was it's a jamma cab. Long time listeners to the the arcade will know I'm not a fan. It's so generic, and a lot of times this was sold as a as a conversion. So most cabs out there will be just a generic cabinet, and the conversion came with like like a, a pretty nice looking marquee with the Black Tiger logo. But the Black Tiger logo is just it's the art is amateurish in this. So the logo, for instance, is in that gothic sort of style font. But the B and the T in Black Tiger are in like white, like bone kind of color, and the lack and Iger parts are in red, and it just makes it hard to read. And it's just it's it's all the cabinets I've seen are the um, the was it Romstar or whatever who are the, yeah, the so distributor. Romstar distributed the distributed that in the United States. So now I don't know if maybe they were the makers of the art and the art for Black Dragon's better or something, but the like the the control panel's kind of generic. It's the joysticks in the middle though and the buttons are on either side. So it's an ambidextrous cabinet, but because it was a conversion, I'm a big fan of side art. I love side art on cabinets. I like big side art and it just, it adds to the beauty of the cabinet if we're if we're just talking about the cabinet. So this is this is a cabinet that has a decent looking marquee, um, uh, but not really great and not great looking art. A very generic control panel, a very generic bezel art, and no other art in the front. So the whole front of it is just generic nothing. And the side art, because it was mostly done as a conversion cabinet, the side art is literally just a rectangular sticker. So it doesn't in any way conform uh-huh. to the shape of the cabinet because they don't know what kind of cabinet you put it on. So when you look at it, it just looks like somebody slapped a poster on the side of the cab. And it's just, it's, it's, physically unattractive so it's it's unfortunate it's a beautiful looking game with great use of color but the cabinet it just is a total letdown it's completely generic and it's doesn't it's not attractive at all and it just looks like a game you can just throw in any old jamma cabinet and there's not really a reason to have this particular cab and that's really unfortunate like you know, that's the case i find for a lot of jamma cabs so it's generic and it disappoints me what I'm seeing here is there's two versions at least of the arcade flyer for this and the romstar version says on it that it's that this is a one or two player horizontal conversion kit. So I don't know that it was ever distributed as anything but But two player uh, wouldn't be at once. It's a take your turns. So I think yeah. of it as a single player game. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I don't you're not playing this that that would be interesting playing a, a multiplayer game simultaneous but it's especially not, if you if you cuz you've got two weapons you've got your throwing weapon and your your mace thing your your morning star so one would get one and one would get the other perhaps you could do different things it could be fun mike and carrington's speculative game podcast yeah <laughs> with mugs right uh so yeah it doesn't look like it was ever sold at least in the united states as anything but a conversion cabinet um or a, a conversion kit uh, distributed by romstar who uh, Romstars has sort of an interesting background all their own. They started out as uh, an SNK uh, distribution company here in the United States and then eventually branched out to Taito, Capcom, uh, and a bunch of other companies, uh, game manufacturers that you've heard of. Um, and it's it's always – like when I first saw the, the marquee, it, it actually says Romstar Black Tiger on it. And so I, I thought – were they the actual developers or something? Because on a lot of these cabinets, you, either the, the distributor doesn't get any kind of acknowledgement at all. It might be on the bottom of a, a flyer or something like that, yeah. or it'll be like in the game credits at the end, you know, distributed by. But it's weird to see a, a, a non-developer company name featured so prominently on a cabinet like that. 
Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because yeah, I, I kept thinking that too because I was I I had read that this was a Capcom game, but I kept seeing Romstar all over it. I'm like, well, who who actually made this game, man? You have explained it to me now. Way to fill my brain with new stuff, Mike. <laughs> my brain is that's what I do. Thinking. I fill your brain with stuff. Fill my brain, Mike. Since I can't come to your city anymore. <laughs> no, you can't. I bought the mug. This is how I've grabbed this territory. You have the mug in the book. <laughs> uh, the game was ported uh, to... I was about to ask, was ah, this ported to a lot of places? Because I, I never played it, it as, well, a, it, as a port. It didn't show up on the Apple II, so basically it didn't show oh, up that's on why. anything that was important. <laughs> no, I, I kid, of course. It, it, it appeared on the uh, US Gold, which I guess is a company that that uh, sort of... They're, they're, Bread and butter was making ports of arcade games. They they appeared more on like Atari and Commodore and stuff. So Apple II folks may not be as familiar with it. It did show up on the uh, the Amstrad CPC, the Amiga, the Atari ST, uh, the ZX Spectrum. Uh, a version was released for the Commodore 64, uh, 1990 by Softworks, and it was uh, there's an emulated version in Capcom Classics Collection remixed, which uh, is on the PSP. And on the Capcom Classics Collection Volume Two for PlayStation Two and Xbox, um, it it's the arcade the actual arcade version appeared in, in the Wii's uh, Virtual Console uh, in Japan only uh, on December seventh in uh, two thousand ten, and in the PAL region in two thousand eleven, uh, and then North America later in two thousand eleven. Um, and it says it was included as the initial game in the Capcom Arcade Cabinet for PlayStation Network and Xbox Live Arcade. Cool. Um, and if you don't want to mess around with emulation or those other platforms, uh, you can actually play this online and it's been converted to, to flash. Um, and they have it on arcade dash gameover.com. And if you don't like their interface, you can also play it on, uh, game dash oldies.com. Nice. I know that with this game was also bootlegged. Somebody company named uh, dragon, put out a bootleg of black tiger. I think it was actually a black tiger slash black dragon like combo um bootleg uh pcb you could buy as a kit um so there was like an underground version of the game as well but i I couldn't find a lot of info about it other than people saying yeah that seems to exist and uh, some people think it might have been just like a hacked regular board that added the choice between black tiger and black dragon and some people think no it was like a uh just a a legal version of it that was being sold Hmm. i couldn't find a definitive answer about that so okay uh, you know, so I I played this game a lot this week, and, and I enjoyed it a whole lot. Uh, and I've, as we've continued to do these podcasts, and I've gone back and played some of our old titles, I've developed a sort you of realize I was right much more often than you give me credit for. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, I I've developed sort of a grudging respect for Ghosts and Goblins. You know, it, it has a certain weird, messed up charm. I'm going to edit this into the audio of that third show. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I, I did. Uh, I, I do enjoy Black Tiger a lot. I think it's overall for. for it's just Tiger, you racist. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed Black Dragon. Is it racist <laughs> to call the dragon black? Yes, uh, specious. <laughs> uh, a lot more than than Ghosts and Goblins, um, and I will definitely be continuing to play this in the future and and try to better my score, which I'm sure is not as good as yours this week. Uh I will take that bet. <laughs> so, so how? So you like me? You never made it to the 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 dragon. Like I never saw the dragon. Well, I think it's at the end of level two. So it shows you how how badly I did in this game. I never even got to the end of level two. Yeah, no, I I got twenty eight thousand. I beat you up badly. I got forty thousand seven hundred and fifty. Um, I destroyed you. 
So now the most of my games I did, I I would usually be getting in the the twenty thousands, usually on first level. Um, a lot comes down to getting the little bonus things, like if you destroy stuff and you get like there's a couple of walls and stuff you can destroy and it'll just give you bonus points. You're like, hey, thanks for the five hundred points, dude. So that's kind of <laughs> cool. Um, uh, beating that one rock dude gave me a bunch of points. Um, but yeah, like sometimes I'll spend so much time like trying to destroy a thing and just like it gives me nothing or just yeah like i i for the most part wasn't even focused on points i was trying you wouldn't think this from how how badly i did but i was mostly just trying to see how far i could get into the game i stopped even worrying like if i was going to skip an enemy i'm like no problem it's just about like go for distance go for distance and yet i still couldn't even make it to the first freaking dragon (laughs) so it shows you that my my go for distance wasn't necessarily uh, effective Alas. Yeah, I'm not good at this game, and I still enjoy the heck out of it. Uh, do you know who the record holder is? You know, I can't. Let's see. Oh, I here it is. Find anything. A guy named Isaiah Johnson. Let's say he holds hmm. the official record for this game with two million three hundred forty-four thousand one hundred fifty points. Jeez, even when I cheated and just added twenty thousand onto my actual <laughs> score, got, I, I wasn't able to come close to that. Got, um, yeah, in two thousand eight. So. Interesting. So it's a relatively recent high score holder. Uh, I can't now. Presumably, if there's eight levels, I wonder: do you like get to the end and that's that's just it? So maybe it's capped out. Like how it it doesn't like start over. I don't know. Like I never got to the end of the thing. I never even seen a video for what happens at the end. Yeah, yeah. Neither did I. I'll, I think what I'll do this week is maybe I'll pump pump a bunch of quarters into it and cheat my way to the end there and uh, see what happens. It's not cheating; it's um, buying your way to the end. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. I um yeah this is this is a, a tough tough game but it doesn't it, it was never so frustratingly tough and this is weird because it should have been that I wanted to stop playing or that I was angry at it like I was at Ghosts and Goblins and and made me want to throw things right yeah I dug it I like this game I gotta say like my summary as well would be it's a game that I I anticipated just from screenshots that I wouldn't dig it that it would be too too late 80s for me and i'd be all you know retro snobby about it but it like immediately won me over it's hard but it's rewarding it rewards exploration i love the variety i love the colors i even like the music even though it's a little repetitive i thought it was appropriate um i i just i dug it like i dug everything about i like the fact that it's hard and it's got so much variety in it and and so much more game to go that i haven't even seen that it's definitely a game i'm going to come back to over and over i wouldn't necessarily want to own a cabinet because it's jamma it's generic whatever throw it in anything just have a jamma cabinet and rotate this into it but i would do that it's a game i'll definitely come back to i would play it in an arcade um and i really enjoyed it yeah i I was about to mention this is not one where i'm going to rush out and try to find a cabinet for this um it works just fine in mame on your pc because there's no weird controls um if you prefer the crt uh, cabinet um experience to to mame on your computer yeah just just get one of those all-in-one systems and you can swap it in in and out it's you're not missing anything yeah, I uh, like this game a whole lot. Thank you for whomever it was that recommended we play this. Yeah, this was one from the listeners as well, I think. Well, I think all of our games. Oh, are. I see. Okay. <laughs> so what about next week? What has the list, What have the listeners uh, uh, requested for next week? Um, well, I don't know what it's called, but it sounds like this. I think that brings us to the end of uh, another No Quarter podcast. I buy the mug. Bye, everybody. Buy everybody's mug.
You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>